1: Welcome back to the Working On Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home-based for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational local therapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Guster that enable the individual team members to discover and at least their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder and CEO of Turnasol, a leadership consulting firm that partners with CEOs, their teams, and organizations in times of significant change. She's the author of The Unfolding Path, A Way to Live and Lead in Our Times, which inspires and guides leader, leaders to do the deep inner work required to step up and lead others to a brighter future. We'll be talking about the tenets of her gorgeous book, The Unfolding Path, and how she outlines it in her book, as well as of the work she does at Turn to all. She's a judge today from San Francisco, California. Dr. Alicia, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I'm thrilled to be here. I am too. As we were
1: saying before we got on air, you are my literally my exact seven year guest. <laughs> seven years ago in 2015, I came on air and I was shaking and uh, what do I do? How do I do this? And you are seven years. So I thank should you so interview
2: much. you to say, let's talk about <laughs> your seven years and what have you learned and your. Oh. Biggest- and all those things. We would be on for days, what i oh, learned. We'll Let me tell to do you. that another time at least.
1: Yeah. You know what? I have had guests say that to me. Dr. Danny Gutneck, um or actually Danny Gutneck, i uh, did that. He said, at least I'm going to interview you on your show. So he's done it. So this could happen. Okay. This yeah, happen. I'll
2: do it. I'll I'll do it. definitely reverse interview you. You'd have like so much to share. It'd be so okay. fun.
1: I think it would be great. Um, well, you know, what you may not know, Dr. Alicia, but uh, listeners and viewers, you may know is that this is really curated content. So seven years, really, what I try to do is when I prepare for the conversation and I read your gorgeous book, it was gorgeous in written words as well as its images, I'm really what I'm doing is now I'm curating and adding uh, uh, ideas that we haven't yet covered on the show, so there's so much we can talk about. but. Before we get into that, I think you've got to start, uh, Alicia, with your beautiful journey story that you that you share in the very beginning of your book, which I could so relate to, by the way, and where you realize that you can move from fear and reliance on achievement to self-love. So let's start with that.
2: Well, even before I start there, I'm going to tell you you're my first conversation about this book. I'm thrilled to hear that. And here's the reason why is because the book is actually not a book that people can buy. Uh, it's not on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, I didn't write it for mass distribution. I wrote it for myself initially, to be honest, because I had the bug of writing. I'd never been a writer, never wanted to write. thought I was just going to write a quick article. Uh, turned out to be what we're about to talk about. Um, and, you know, I ultimately shared it with my daughter because that was mm-hmm. my next purpose. And then mm-hmm. the people who had been helping me with it said, we'll share it with some people and see what they think. And then I ended up, um only sharing it with some people who had really made a difference in my life and now my clients so i've never talked about this before so i'm very excited to have the opportunity so thank you
1: this is just perfect right it's just seven year timing yeah, first I know. time I know.
2: talking I know. about it perfect yeah that's Stars, what i wanted to tell you. all of it yeah um so to your question yeah no what a crazy we all have our stories right so mine um i think it really anchors in this idea to to leverage the word that is in the show, right? Purpose, that since I was really, really little, I had this sense that the reason I was here was to shine. And that word has always been in me for some reason, which I don't know why, to be honest, but it's always been a word. Um, and, And it's evolved over time. You know, I think this is the sort of the story you were referring to that, that, um, when I was really little, I I grew up in the South here in the United States. Um, I was in a Catholic home. Um, My, my living situation was somewhat unpredictable and kind of my answer to that initially was um, how could I be a good girl? That was, you know, shining to me had to do with being a good girl, which I know a lot of women can appreciate, you Mm -hmm. know, how do I show up as, you know, um, the best, you know, polite and obedient and, um, taking responsibility and caring for others. And uh, and it was really that for for quite a while until I hit sort of middle school and high school. When I hit middle school and high school, uh, you know, like so many teenagers, I began to suffer the things that we all suffer as teenagers, things about my identity and, you know, what was happening with my family and all these expectations I was feeling and limitations that I was feeling about what I could become. And yet I knew that I had a lot of gifts and talents that I had been given. And I decided that, that if I could achieve, if I could really leverage those things, uh, that that would be my ticket out of all this struggle that I, if I could just achieve, if I could, if I could really, you know, in everything I did, whether it was at the time academics or sports or what have you, that, that that would be my way out. And, and to be frank, it was, you know, because that it really powered, you know, college degree, two masters, a PhD, living in 10 cities, tons of really great jobs and promotions and making a lot of money early on in my career. Um, but, but what ended up happening was, you know, um, as I talk about in the book, there was a, a night shortly after my daughter was born, where um, I was sitting in the dark, and it was still. And I had this epiphany, which occurs, you know, only a few times in your life. Uh, really in the way I'm just that certainly happened to me in that moment where I kind of for whatever reason that night reflected on where I was and realized I had everything I'd ever imagined. But yet in the dark I felt dark. I felt empty. I felt um like there was just something fundamentally missing for me as a human. And and in that moment I realized shining wasn't responsibility, it wasn't achievement. It actually was about becoming the fullness of myself. And the ways I had been living life were not going to allow me to become that. And I had to go off and find a new way. And that's really what this book is about.
1: Hmm. can really appreciate that, that emptiness, that hollowness you're talking about. And, of course, as a logotherapist, we call that the existential vacuum, of course, right? Really, I was like, I know that story, I know that story. Um, so, it makes me so, feel
2: better because, you know, when you're in it, you feel alone. You know, uh, yeah. you're the only person that's ever happened to you and you're right. just totally terrified. But then you get into <laughs> it and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. This is a human thing. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. And in some ways, it's extremely predictable. So uh, what's also really great, though, about your work, I just I think that your writing is really compelling, really beautiful. You're a beautiful writer, Alicia, and uh, just really convey concepts really, you know, in a beautiful, very accessible way. and Right out of the gate, one of the things that you talk about is, you know, you say we resist this journey of unfolding and specifically living our purpose. And you talk about a few reasons why that's so, which I think would be useful for our listeners and viewers who are going, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people are like, I do want to find my purpose, but, right? So could you talk to a few of these things? Why do we resist?
2: Yeah, well, I do talk to a few, but I think uh, before I get there, I would say that under, I mean, because the few, maybe I'll start there, you know, the fewer things like, um, it's there, but we don't wanna hear it. It's there, but we don't wanna act on it. It's there, uh, but it feels hard to do. You know, There's just different reasons, but I think the root cause of all of that really is we live, all of us live in a world where people have expectations on us, mm-hmm. whether it's the family we were raised in, whether it's the culture that we were part of, whether it's the business, You know, there's, there's a story that we grew up uh, believing about how how you live life, how you're successful in life, how you live a good life. And I think it's powerful and it's powerful because as humans we want to belong and we want to be part of a tribe. And uh and and it's scary to go outside of that. And and the deal with purpose and the deal with um this idea of wanting to fully shine, to use the language, my language and wanting to really be the fullness of who you are is you have to let that go. You have to say, you know what? Um that may be the story, but that's not right for me. My life and my journey and my path requires me to bushwhack. It requires me to leave all of that and to really have the faith and confidence in myself that I can navigate to become the fullness of who I am. And I think that's really the underlying root cause of all of it.
1: I think that's, I completely align with that and that was beautifully rendered. I mean, I know for me, when I really, really, really understood what this was i literally i left a perfectly good job i jumped off the cliff i didn't have a single client who was gonna look and pay for my services and said okay i'll go i'll start my own you know leadership program create my own book start a nonprofit." i did all that with nothing i didn't there was nothing underneath there for me except you had the fire except i had the fire and the conviction that this is the right path for me and yes It was, uh, so I talk about being obedient to it, you know, and then it wasn't necessarily convenient, but I couldn't resist it. So I think what you just said is gorgeous. And then if we also take it another step further, Alicia, what's really fascinating that, that I also terribly in line with what you said is you say, <laughs> at its core, struggle is simply a personalized invitation to wake up, grow, and expand.
2: Yes. Well, it was funny because in preparing for this, I had to reread all the books. <laughs> sorry. No, it's actually a gift because there were so many places, because I wrote it for me. There were so many places of it that I was like, oh, man, I need to hear that right now. And this was one of them that I read it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. Dang it. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. it's so true. And here's, here's why I think it's so true. I think that um, struggle is actually the thing that allows us to become who we really are.
0: Mm-hmm. My
2: daughter and I, for a while, loved um, a rock tumbler. We used Mm -hmm. to have a rock tumbler and, you know, you put the unpolished rock in the tumbler. You put the grit in like all the Mm -hmm. stuff, the nasty Mm -hmm. stuff, and you let it tumble around for a while. And then it comes out shiny. That's struggle. Struggle is the grit. And when you uh, kind of say to yourself, I'm going to turn towards it, I'm going to lean into it, I'm going to face it, confront it versus being afraid of it, ignoring it, denying it numbing from it, medicating, whatever the other choices that we can make. When you really lean into it, I think what you find is that um, it is the thing that helps you, you know, develop confidence to, to know you can do it. I think about my divorce, you know, as an yeah. example, of my own personal life, you know, my parents were married for 60 years, you know, my grandparents before them, my brothers are all married. The idea that I was going to divorce was just um, like out of the ordinary and um, but it was real. I had to do it for me. And, you know, it was an inferno. Everything I knew burned down. Uh, but I look back at that experience and I say, holy cow, I am I am more me because I went through it. I went through all the steps. I had to learn how to do it. I had to do it differently. I had to have faith in myself. I'm more me than I ever would have been without that. And I think that's the power of struggle. We are given the personalized opportunities that are unique to us for us to be all of us. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with that. In fact, for the longest
1: time, Alicia, I used to say, you know, I'm probably not going to amount to too terribly much in life because I haven't had to struggle. And it's true. I really haven't, you know, and and it, but like you... it. it I did get this nice little um, thing on a silver platter called a divorce that helped me as well. Um, But uh, (laughs) thank you. And I wouldn't be living my purpose today if I probably if I were still married. And that's just part of it. Right. It's just and so I completely believe so. The opportunity listeners and viewers is to embrace the struggle. Right. And recognize it for the gift that it really is and not run from it and not numb from it. As she's saying, it's just so, so powerful
2: it is the fuel it is that it is the energy it is the gift it is the curriculum to help us become all of us
1: it is it so is and I really appreciate how you have created these separate books that then address specifically uh, the building blocks that you say create the unfolding path which we're going to talk we're going to sample from each one of those because they're so so beautiful um, so let's talk about the first one here um, so that what, the, what those building blocks are are fear choice, purpose, brighter futures, and the path. Um, and so what it's great about the way that you've written this and set it up for us is you say that these building blocks revealed to you a new navigational system for how we could live and lead, which is gorgeous, right, so the way you serve this up. So let's do this. Let's treat the first one fear before we, we grab our first yep. break. So let great. me read a, a couple things and let you comment because I yep. want to be able to render some of your writing. It's so beautiful. So. I've never heard anybody say this the way that you have, which is great. So you say, humans are hardwired to spread emotions faster than viruses. Fear, considered to be a high arousal emotion, is the most contagious of all. It alerts the most primal parts of ourselves to issues affecting our safety, security, and survival. If we aren't aware, we can catch fear and equally give our fear to others. That is powerful, Alicia, very powerful.
2: Well, I just, I mean, you can think about it in your own personal life. Like I was with um, a mom last week. I went to go pick my daughter up at soccer practice and, um, you know, Omicron is happening right now. So, and kids have just gone back to school and she was really, you know, expressing to me her anxiety about some things that had happened that day with her child at a school, you know, and what was going to happen. And I had gone into that conversation completely calm and I got into my car and I was completely stirred up. And the only thing that had happened is I had that conversation. And so what, why did that happen? Well, the, the science behind it is we have mirror neurons. And the mirror neurons are were hardwired as part of our sort of survival system to pick up on other people's emotions and fear because of what the role that fear plays, which is about keeping us safe and secure. And and where it sits in our brain, which is obviously in the, it, it's, you know, we've all talked about it, fight and flight. You know, it's in the reptilian part in our brain. That particular emotion has the highest arousal um, capacity in our, in our, with these mirror, mirror neurons. And so what ends up happening is, you know, I catch fear. And then if I'm not aware that I have the fear, I pass it on to someone else. I could have then had another, I could have had a conversation right after that that said, Elise, oh my God, COVID, schools, holy cow, can you get over? And then you start feeling it. And then you, if you're unaware, do something similar to others. And, you see it in organizations as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you Absolutely. Uh, and, and that was probably one of my, personally, my biggest ahas was being in three different organizations in three different industries that all got disrupted by an existential threat. Uh, and seeing how the leaders of that company were afraid for themselves, you know, that they were worried about their own failure, not, not in a, 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 a bad way, but a human way. You know that they're leading this company, and what are we going to do? And I don't want to fail, and that that sense of fear then translated to their teams, and their teams then translate it to the to the company through a variety of ways. And and collective fear is debilitating for yeah. people. You know, it, yeah. it it really keeps people from from doing their best.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and you and I both see this because of the work that we do inside organizations. So let's hold our thoughts for for that for just a moment, so we can grab our first break. We'll pick up for a little bit more on that when we come back. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder and CEO of Turnosol and the author of The Unfolding Path, a way to live and lead in our times. We've been talking a bit about her own journey and why this work is important to her, starting to talk about the elements or the tenets of within her book. First one being fear. After break, we're gonna also kick into choice. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. If you're just during the program today, my guest is Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder and CEO of Turnasol, a leadership consultancy firm that partners with CEOs, their teams and organizations in times of significant change. And she's the author of The Unfolding Path, A Way to Live and Lead in Our Times. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So we were talking about this, one of the tenets that you talk about in your in your, your collection of books, and that being fear. I just wanted to finish up one more thing on that, which I think is just so important. And we were talking about this notion of, like, fear is so palpable inside organizations. People are afraid to talk, and it spreads like wildfire. And what's interesting about what you say about that, which I think is really interesting, is... You say, to stop collective fear and engage more productively with our changing world, we must turn inwards and create a greater stability inside ourselves. To develop this inner stability, we can reframe our fear from something that we deny or diminish by to something that that we can master and use to facilitate our learning and growth. And this mastery starts with a very important first step. We must wake up. Oh, true.
2: It's the birthplace of us taking our power back. That is the birthplace, you know? And I think what the book Fear and Choice, when you put them together, I think that was, for me, the first thing, you know, we live in this uncertain world. Uh, It's so easy to be knocked out, you know, knocked off, you know, and and sort of be overwhelmed by the world we live in. And for me, the first step is, you know, how do you master your fear? And the first place you start is you actually have to be aware that you're afraid. And, and when you're aware that you're afraid, then you can start doing something about being afraid. But if you don't let yourself even know you're afraid, um, then you, 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 you trap yourself right there.
1: Mm -hmm. And that speaks to something we'll talk about a little bit later. And that's just the the problem that we have in today's times of becoming divorced from our feelings, the whole complement of them, not just fear, but everything out with the bathwater so so uh, so let's move into choice next uh there's a couple pieces to this that i think are really critical that you talk about as well and so here again i'll read from from your, your book you say each and every choice we make consists of the same three parts a stimulus a space in which we make our choice a response when fully accessed the space between stimulus and response is infinite and contains limitless alternatives possibilities and opportunities amen it provides us the chance to slow down and ask ourselves important questions. And it is also a place where we can learn, grow, and change. I would venture to say that most people do not think about choice as powerfully as that.
2: <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> it's practice, right? And again, mm-hmm. I, think, I think for me, these two books of how do you live and lead in, in the times that we live in, again, start from this place of we have to take your power back. you know, And, and this, for me, was a bridge with fear because what happens is something happens to us, and that's the stimulus. And it could be a good thing, a bad thing, something in between. But before we respond, there's actually a place where we can decide how we're gonna respond. And I think the is, and certainly a practice I'm still working on every day, is how do we pause long enough to know that we have that choice to make? And so for me, being somebody who has lived a life of fear living in a world that is so uncertain, uh, the most helpful thing I can do when something happens is to give myself that space and to say, hang on, I feel fear. I don't actually have to act out of that. I actually have other choices that I can make right now. So let's slow down and think about what I actually want, want to do. What is my intention here? What do I want to have happen as a result of my action? And again, the practice of allowing yourself to be aware of the stimulus, give yourself that space to choose, and then have a response. It is one of the most essential things to take your power back, in, in my experience.
1: mm-hmm. Beautifully rendered, beautifully said. And then related to that is another really, really important concept that we have to talk about that you also really just zing in your book mm-hmm. is you say that, you say, I believe it is the lack of personal responsibility That is at the core of much of what ails us today, and I do agree with that, so why I care so much about empowerment as well. You say, too many of us fall into the categories of believing the world is all about serving our needs or believing the world is completely against us, so we shouldn't even try. Too many of us, too much of the time, wait for others to think for us, act for us, solve our problems, and give our lives meaning. We abandon accountability for what is actually ours to do, relying on a false hope that someone else will do it for us.
2: Yeah, I think, again, from my journey, there's no choice if you don't take personal responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that your choices are not your responsibility, you give your choices to someone else and you allow other people to dictate your life and and where you're headed. And so, again, given that I believe for me personally in my journey, it was I got to take my power back. I'm letting other people dictate my life i'm letting other people dictate how i feel i'm letting other people dictate what i should do how am i going to fully shine how am i going to take how am i going to become the fullness of me if that's what i'm doing this idea that i am responsible for my choices which which means that i'm not going to let anybody else make them for me whatever the whatever i decide is is my accountability and the result of that is my accountability that's what creates power mhm when you it does. take your responsibility, when you realize you have choice in every situation, and every single situation, you have a choice you can make. That's where the power comes from. And it's when you feel powerful, not powerless, that you can decide what you, what you want to do in the world. That's where you can now start to talk about purpose and where you can start to talk about the impact you want to have is when you know that you've got power because you have you you can make choices and you're responsible for that.
1: Mm. Listen, I can't resist putting this together for us, Alicia. So in Logotherapy, Dr. Viktor Frankl talks a lot about how you know on the East Coast- I was hoping you were going to talk about that. It. Right, right, we have to because of your, your location and everything, right? So he talks about how the Statue of Liberty, of course, is in New York and it's all about freedom. But there's another really important key side to that and that is responsibility or responsibility. So he used to always say that we need another statue, but this one being the you know responsibility, and let's put it in San Francisco to put it on the other side. Since you're in San Francisco, this is perfect. I love it.
2: <laughs> I know. He's he's for sure. He's been a huge influence on how I think about things. I,
1: I had a suspicion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of sync between how you talk and write and, and how I do as well. So all the more reason why, you know, I was yeah. thrilled when I was. I know, it's super fun. Like, Let's get her on here. Okay. Um, okay, well, let's move on to purpose. There were so many things in your book of purpose that I was just uh, just jamming on, and we uh-huh. got to start. Um, and what's great about that, Alicia, there were so many things that you have a you know you have a your own beautiful, shining perspective on the matter. And so I want to open it with the way that you open the foreword in that particular book of purpose. Um, this is um, a clip from Rabbi Harold Kushner in the beginning of the book, and we have to read the whole thing to situate this. So mm-hmm. you say, this is his writing, his his words. Over the course of my 30 years as a Congressional Rabbi, I have seen many people come to the end of their lives. I've held their hands and prayed with them on the eve of a desperate last chance operation. I've seen them deteriorate from week to week of debilitating illness. I have seen courage, love, and humor in the face of death. The dying have taught me one great lesson that I would never have learned without their help. Most people are not afraid of dying. They are afraid of not having lived. It is not the prospect of death that frightens most people. People can accept the inescapable fact of mortality. What frightens them more is the dread of insignificance, the notion that we will be born and live and one day die, and none of it will matter. That is so profound and perfect way to to open on purpose.
2: You know, it was, again, I wrote it for me, and I found myself in every book saying, I can't believe I'm about to write this. I can't (laughs) believe I'm about to talk about this. And this Mm -hmm. is an example of that. That the quote for me was, as I mentioned in the book, also very profound for me, and it was because at the time I was an executive, I was working a huge job, um, and I was I was doing what executives do. I was actually living in Australia at the time, um, and my grandfather, who had been incredibly influential to me, uh, was living on the complete other side of the world in the south in Georgia, and he was dying of cancer, and I was kind of seeing myself at the time, you know, very important with, you know, PowerPoint decks and lots of meetings. And he in his hospital <laughs> about 15,000 miles away was dying and I would go visit him. And one of the things that really struck me about him was he was at peace with dying. And, uh, and I, you know, he was a, he was a man of faith. And so I knew that that was part of it. But when I read the quote, what I really came to understand is that he also was at peace because he knew his life mattered.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So what it did for me was it made me ask the question of myself, how will I know that my life mattered? And I now come to, at least for me, sort of see it along two dimensions. It's There's a dimension about what I contribute, you know, and that's different than success, contributions about impact and the impact I had. And the other dimension is have I loved and have I been loved? And for me, at least, those two axes, if you will, kind of frame what it means to live a life that truly matters.
1: I think that's stellar, and I thought that was so powerful. And you do a beautiful job talking about your grandfather in the book, too, and his peace that comes from knowing that he actually mattered. So I want to make sure and situate this for our listeners and viewers, because it's beautiful. Your two axes are contribution, and then the other one is loved and being loved. And I think that's really profound. And I, I will tell you this, Alicia, that when I'm out speaking to audiences and I talk about the importance of awakening to passion and purpose, First, people don't know what they're passionate about, and then when we get to the purpose part, they're they're they say things like, "Well, you know, my life is okay the way it is. It's okay, <laughs> it's okay," and and so I see what they. That's you know, it's it's resignation, right? I see, I know what that is, right? Because they were yeah. afraid of it, afraid of matter, afraid of how shine, how big their shine might be, right? And that's it's right. so interesting, Alicia. Such important work to be doing in the world, and precious yeah. work to be doing in the world.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's, I think for a lot of people, it's. What what you're doing and what I think I'm trying to do is to help people make it more accessible for people, you know. Right. And I think purpose right. in particular, um, the word purpose I think now can scare people, but but it's actually it's actually something that exists in all of us. And mm-hmm. the, the question is not it, says it doesn't even have to be a big P purpose. It can be a little P purpose that's a theme <laughs> over your life. Like for me, shining. Is a purpose but mm-hmm. it's changed over my life and it applies mm-hmm. differently but it's a theme
1: mm-hmm. it's,
2: how do you help people make that accessible for people and then give them kind of the tools and the kind of the, the steps the small steps that they can take that that allow them to actually do it
1: mm-hmm and which I'll say something to her a little bit later Uh, one of the other things that you say that I've never heard anybody else say before, which is brilliant. You say. All such compliments. Thank you. Oh, it's, well, it's great work, Alicia. It's just great work. You're so welcome. So well-deserved. And I love to celebrate, you know, when I see a beautiful mind and heart come on air and we're celebrating and this seven years in my dear, let's do it. So, um, so one of the things that you say is so great is you say living your purpose is the ultimate act of showing up. Oh, amen, sister. That's exactly right. And nobody else that I've heard ever say that.
2: Oh, but but if you've tried it, it's like gosh, I don't know how else to describe the experience. You know, I mean, to live your purpose means you are willing to go against what everyone else is saying is the right thing to do.
1: So and, true. And
2: you have bought into the story of society, like we were saying a minute ago. You know, society and your family and culture, and you are willing to love yourself more than all of that, and you are willing to say. I will live the life that is mine to live and Mm -hmm. I will not die without doing what is my unique, you know, fulfilling my unique potential. Like, and to do that means you have to be yourself. Like I have a sticky note literally in front of me right now that says, this is me. You have to be yourself. You have to be yourself. You have to be brave enough to be yourself. You have to be brave enough to do things that are unconventional and be okay with that. Um, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, but yet it is the most rewarding, you know, path I've certainly ever tried to take.
1: Mm -hmm. Me too. In fact, that's one of the things that you talk about that the importance of self-love as a very, as a distinguishing access point to purpose. I think that's also really brilliant and unusual, Alicia, in terms of, you know, uh, what I want to say, showcasing the importance of self-love in order to be able to access your purpose.
2: That's the only reason that you actually do it, is because you love yourself enough to say, you know what, what I have to offer matters, and I need to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Agreed,
1: and that's what happened to me too. So... Uh, let's grab our last break already. This goes by so fast. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on here with Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder and CEO of Turnersall and the author of The Unfolding Path, A Way to Live and Lead in Our Times. We've been talking about some of the tenets from her collection of books. We've been just talking about purpose and also choice. After the break, we're going to get into Brighter Futures and The Path. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Alicia, since you mentioned the idea of access, I do want to share with you and all the listeners and viewers a little bit of news, and that is that uh, August of 2021, I released an anthology of 25 stories from women that I found around the world from all over the place, from Australia to Zambia, and they share their really intimate stories of how they discover their purpose and how they're Mm -hmm. serving from it, and the reason I arranged them the way that I did by path was to do just what you said, to give people some access to being able to discover their own purpose and if we if we look at path that's a way to see it so I want to share that with you it's out on amazon now it's Super called passion cool. I'm
2: look into it for sure yeah
1: I've, I've, i'm so proud of it i could bust I can't,
2: it must have been so fun to do
1: too it, it was amazing it was good. so it's called passionately striving and why and that's out now i'm on the hunt across the globe to find men to be able to share their story. so listeners wow. there's a viewer if you know any men who want to be able to share their story of purpose please send them my way
2: i'm gonna think about some and see if i can send them your way please
1: do i've been having some of the most amazing conversations so um, if you're just joining me, guest and, uh, and who are guests and, and viewers, um, my guest today is Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder and CEO of Turnasol a leadership consultancy firm that partners with CEOs, their teams, and organizations, in times of significant change. We've been talking about her beautiful book. So the next piece that we want to cover, the next book we want to cover, is called Brighter Futures. And what's interesting, again, for me and in, in, in our parallel work, Alicia, is some of the things that you write about for Brighter Futures, I kind of talk about from an inspirational lens. It's very similar. It's just so beautiful. Um, and so here again, let's quote what you say. You say over time I discovered that the leaders I admired reached both the head and the heart. They made people bold and hopeful, connected to something greater than themselves, confident and empowered to make an impact. They brought out the best in others by helping them believe they could do more, be more, and make more good things happen. Completely aligned with that. And that that so, is such a beautiful way to speak to brighter futures. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think I think this book was a a sort of a pivotal point for me writing it because it really made me have to think about what makes those people able to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: if I think about the people that I was kind of um, inspired by when I wrote that. They'd done the work that we just talked about. You know, they were people who were, you know, were awake to their fear. They were courageous. They they took responsibility for their choices. They knew what they were doing and why they were doing it with their purpose. And they knew that they could use those things in a way to make people's lives better. And they were inspired to do so. And and I, I think what was powerful about thinking about that was then contrasting it to a different kind of leadership that you see out in the world, which uh, I would argue, sort of, to do, the t- dominant paradigm uh, about be the biggest, to be the best, take the share, win the war. Uh, yeah. And I was trying to figure out how more leaders could actually lead in that way. And this was a little bit of, of my exploration of that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous, and I think it's such a great way to showcase, you know, the possibility of, of a whole new frontier that you that you put forth for us. And and to that, and you take it another step further with this next passage. You say. Um, The ultimate job of a leader is to bring brighter futures, futures that bring out the best of humanity, create greater human value, not just economic, political, or personal value. Bring about new possibilities, opportunities, equality, and freedom for more people. Burst with hope and feel better than we ever imagined possible. That's your definition of leading brighter, which I think is a beautiful invitation and a great summons. How could you say no to that?
2: (laughs) Well, I just, I think it's time, to have a conversation about what is the job of a leader. I mean, you look at a lot of the leadership um, literature, and it's about competencies, and it's about attributes, and it's about, you know, tactics and disciplines. But what you don't see is actually what's the job of a leader. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't actually see anybody define that. And I feel like, you know, we could create a whole new paradigm of leadership, a whole new generation of leaders just based on the fundamental premise, the job, the job you're signing up for is to create a brighter future that 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 makes people's lives better that creates more joy and connection and discovery and equality and shared prosperity like we as leaders should do that and and in doing that we can actually elevate people's performance as well
1: yeah and on that note i have to insert something really quick here so listeners and viewers those of you who are leaders are going and heck this is a really hard job yes it really is a hard job and you probably can't do it as well by yourself you probably need some help and that's the work that both alicia and I are doing i know today alicia i'm working with leaders who are terrified i mean this is a huge job you know the great resignation is a real deal and it's creating all kinds of havoc for organizations and the leaders who run them and you know now is a really good time to be able to get a little help with the with the with the the unfolding path if you will Um, and i really want to make sure that listeners and viewers you hear us you know say to you we hear you. This is hard work. And, you know, there's beauty in the journey. And, you know, we'd love to help you along that journey. It's so beautiful. It's so intimate. And when filled it with possibility. With
2: you. It starts with you. I think yeah. that's the part about it, you know, to your point, Elise, that that I've certainly been experiencing is helping individual leaders reconnect yeah. to what drives them, mm-hmm. kind of take their own power back. They've been dealing with so many things happening at them and crises right. and responses. Right. And, and, you know, the application of what we've been talking about up to now is helping leaders as humans reconnect to what matters to them, their own sense of personal power, their own purpose, the contribution they uniquely can make, and then helping them make that contribution in the face of all of this, because yes. it's possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed.
2: Completely agreed. Agreed. Um, And so then the last tenet
1: or the last book that I want to talk about here, um, touch upon here is The Path. Uh, And this is, again, gorgeous. I want to read just a little bit and then have you serve back up from it. So you say, the danger as we stumble to find what we know used to be true and being lost is that ultimately we can lose heart and divorce ourselves from our feelings. I've experienced this in my own life, which is a big reason why today I'm out to awaken passion and purpose in those I serve. So I really understood when you said divorce from feelings. I really understand that I have been lost. I know what that feels like. So would you generate for us more what this path looks like? You do it beautifully in your book.
2: Um, yeah. And what I would say is that to build on what you said just a second ago, I mean, I think when when all of us have been in this time of struggle for a while now, you know, and dealing with the crisis and the responses. It is so easy to lose heart. It is yeah. so easy mm-hmm. to give in and give up. And, and it's human and there's no judgment there. It's just easy to do right. it. Right. I think, I think what this is, what I'm sort of my offering through this book is, um, but there's a different way. And I think, you know, again, if you are able to look at your fear and, and realize you have choice and you can connect to your purpose and you can imagine a brighter future that you can create, the path is all about the future doesn't exist yet nobody's ever actually walked the path that's uniquely yours and so how do you set off on the journey to do that Um, and it's it's very much about learning that reminding ourselves that we actually as humans are explorers we're navigators Mm -hmm. you know we live in this world i think where somehow again through society we've we we value the known and the certain. You know, we love our iPhones. We love you know being able to find the weather out in ten seconds. We love you know knowing the journey of becoming the fullness of yourself. The journey of creating a brighter future. You know, it's a path of unknowing, and so the path is all about you know kind of reconnecting with this idea that we're all navigators. We can all find our way um, if if we start to listen to our in, internal voices. If we start to sort of kind of take the next right step uh, if we, if we, you know, really allow ourselves um, the trust uh, to be able to do it.
1: I think you probably uh, had just probably terrified a few people that were listening with that, which is great uh, because some people, right, it's that piece of the certainty piece, right? Um, what do you mean this is uncertain wherever I, where I'm going to place my next foot to step? Um, it is, right? You're, I love how you talked about that being explorers that were navigators and that, you know, there's this whole beautiful space of possibility. And I had Stephen Morris on my show a few weeks ago, who I just love. He's mm-hmm. got the book, uh, the beautiful business book out. And I just really believe, love that he's out to be able to evangelize the idea that all of us can elevate our businesses to a higher yeah. serving level, right? With more yes. consciousness and intentionality, we really can lift more boats with that. Yes. And, yes, you know, it's just, it's so there's it, that possibility space that you talk about, I think it's just so important for us never to lose sight of.
2: Well, and I also think we underestimate ourselves. You know, I think the only reason that we fear uncertainty is because we're out of practice. You know, we've we've lived in a world of certainty or wanted to create certainty for ourselves, but but we're hardwired for exploration. Mm-hmm. We're hardwired to be navigators. And, and it's like anything you go to learn, Spanish or and I'm learning Spanish right now, or, you know, a new sport. It's like anything you learn, you just have to practice. You have to try it. You have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable with it. Um, but but to trust that you can do it, you know, and to, to take steps that, okay, I did that one, I can do another one. I did that one, I can do another one. I think that's a lot of the work of, of of kind of, again, becoming the fullness of who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, just taking that, just there's, there's magic in taking the action, right? We both know that. Yes. Um, so a couple more things I want to talk about with regard to what you've done with your company. So um, so I love that you've named your company Tournesol, which is French for sunflower. I did know that. And I love that you use the flower imagery on your website, and it's also throughout your book and places. Um, so tell us the story, and because I, I know a little something about where this came from, but our listeners and viewers don't. Tell us the story of how the name was inspired. Why Tornosol? Uh
2: Well, again, the books are all about sort of my personal journey, and from and, um, my purpose and thinking about what I can do, um, the image of a field of sunflowers is sort of my own brighter future. The brighter future I want to create is um, a, a field of sunflowers. Each flower represents a leader of, like seeds that I've been able to plant where people um, are feel more inspired and equipped to lead and live and lead in the ways we've been talking about. And so for me, um, the reason the company exists, the reason I exist is to try to help people to be able to turn towards that different way of living and leading.
1: Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. And then on your website, you have this really wonderful, playful way of introducing your team, which I just think is exquisite and divine and inviting. So kudos for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful work you're doing. So you. here, you know, we did it. We it's, It goes by so fast, Alicia. So, you know, this show is listened to by people across the world and we're all about creating workplaces where people actually want to come to work and do their best. We have what I call inspirational leaders, or those leading a brighter future, who want to actually lead those people to their greatness. And we do business that betters the world. With that in mind, what we should like to leave our listeners with?
2: I think I would offer a a thought and a question. Um, The thought is you know, my life as being an example You know, in the face of uncertainty and all the stuff we're all um, struggling with right now, it is possible to fully shine. It is possible to do it, and I think the place you start is deciding that it's something that you want to do. So the question I leave is for for if if folks are interested, is is to imagine your life fully shining. What does it look like for you? What does the outside look like if you're fully shining? And how does it feel different inside if you were fully shining? And I would just maybe give yourself permission to play with that question and see how it feels and see if that's something that inspires you. And if it does, then the next step will show up for you after that.
1: That is a brilliant way to finish the show. In fact, Alicia, those are the couple of questions that I have people who, who write in their, their stories and my anthologies weigh in on exactly those things. Fascinating. See, I'm telling you. Maybe I know our sisters to to from, from, from another mother. I don't know, but
2: yeah. I'll have to figure it out because I love it. That was such a fun conversation. I'm honored to be here. And again, congratulations on seven years. That's just amazing.
1: Thank you. I really think that, you know, you you brought a shine, literally, to this seven-year mark. So I really am so glad I found you. Thank you, your publicist, for, for putting us together. I loved reading your book and sharing the concepts with our listeners and viewers and to help them shine more and lead better futures. So uh, Dr. Alicia Hare, thank you for joining me as a guest.
2: Thank you again.
1: A pleasure. You're welcome. Uh, listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Dr. Alicia Hare and the work she and her fascinating team are doing at Tournesol, um, or the book that she wrote, The Unfolding Path, go to leadbrighter.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it re- via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with John Coleman, the managing partner of Sovereign's Capital and the author of Crafting Your Purpose, Lean Into Your Strengths, Bring meaning to Work, Make a Difference. Next week, we'll be on air with Dr. Nathaniel Zinn talking about his book, The Confident Mind, a battle-tested guide to unshakable performance. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously. Leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.